Welcome back to the Teaching in Tech podcast for season two with Alan and Chad, where we continue to explore everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Working with teachers, we see amazing things happening in classrooms every day. In each episode, we'll detail teaching strategies and technology integration ideas that are working. Also, special guests will join us to share strategies that have been successful with students. Well, welcome back for another episode of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring resources for English learners. We know that this is definitely a relevant topic in classrooms today, as many of our teachers are teaching learners who speak a variety of different languages all in the same classroom. Yeah, I mean, we, we can tell even from our district alone over the last 10 years, uh, we've exploded in EL learners um, in, in our district. Uh, you know, I remember having a class with maybe one or two EL students, and now we have full classrooms uh, and multiple throughout the day. So definitely, definitely adapting as we continue to move forward. Yeah, and based on how so many of our teachers don't necessarily have any formal training in in teaching a, a class that has learners that speak different languages, uh, it's really, to me, it's been impressive just to see how resilient the teachers have been trying to come up with ways to, to bridge gaps, to, to close some of these language barriers, and really just to provide a good experience for all the students that they teach. Well, yeah, and as we've talked, you know, we, we have a whole EL department in our district, uh, but even they're continuing to, to adapt and change and grow. Um, and, and with that being said, right, we, the supports we're providing teachers has to change. Uh, we have to start looking at what we're putting in place. Um, and we've got students that have been in our district that are EL students. They've been in, their, in the district since kindergarten, first, second, third grade, all the way to students that are just joining us in high school. Uh, so not only do we have a wide range in diversity and language, but also in their abilities to speak the language itself. Um, but keeping that in mind, you know, we've, we've brought up that our teachers are content specialists, so they don't necessarily have the skill or, or the knowledge to provide the skill development uh, for the English language for a lot of our students. Um, so go ahead. No, I just was going to, it did make me think that there's there's definitely a difference in the instructional strategies when you're talking about trying to instruct and teach someone a new language versus trying to teach them content and to teach them whether it's, uh, you know, a science course, a history course, a math course. When you're teaching them content, translating the information using the same strategies versus trying to teach someone a new language and trying to, to do something in a way that that builds those language skills. And and when you're talking about, as you mentioned, teachers who are specialists in their content, they don't necessarily have that background in language development. So that's something we're kind of learning as we go. Right. Exactly. Uh, thank you for clarifying that. But, the, you know, that's why we have to lean on some of the strategies uh, that we'll kind of talk through today. I've seen a lot of great ones. I've seen ones that work for specific classes. I've seen ones that that support all classes. Um, you know, we brought up a, a teacher that we worked with uh, a few years ago that would teach in English language and then translate it to Spanish for most of his Hispanic learners. And at that point, that class kind of embraced that approach. Fast forward to a year later, it didn't work. Right. So I will say that some of these strategies may be hit or miss, depending on the group of kids that you're working with. Yeah. So. Well, that's interesting, too. When we talked a little bit about that um, in that math class, how he had that group of students that 
you know, they were kind of interested. The two different groups speaking different languages, they they both kind of took an interest in trying to learn a little bit about how things, you know, get the perspective of the other side. And he was able to, to use that where he would would speak, you know, part of in, uh, the lesson in Spanish, part of it in English. And the students had that patience. And as you said, you know, just to kind of like allow him to work back and forth in the two different languages. And then, you know, the, the following year, the group dynamics were different and that strategy didn't work quite as well. So I think it is definitely as we move forward with this and as teachers get more and more experience, you know, we'll find that, you know, some things can be successful in certain settings and sometimes not in others. Exactly. Yeah. And and so, you know, basing off my experience, um, I had one year where I had a predominant amount of uh, ELs from the freshman academy. So my team had most of the EL students. Um, and Mostly case, Spanish speakers in that case? Yeah, mostly Spanish speakers. Uh, we had a couple Quiche speakers, which really uh, the translation, there's no written language. Um, and the verbal didn't always, there wasn't always a good mirror from Spanish to Quiche. Right. Uh, so that, that did cause a little bit of um, confusion. But the great part is we, we created the culture in the class where I had Spanish speakers that were actually bilingual with English and Spanish. And then they would help kind of merge and translate it to, to articulate what I needed to, to the Quiche speakers. Uh, so what a great that, resource that is. Oh, it was, it was phenomenal. But you look now it's, it's like playing telephone though. Right. So now it's the interpretation of the student to then try and retranslate it to another interpretation to another student. Right. And as you talked about too, with the, you know, different groups and personalities, you know, to ask a student to take that responsibility, you know, really their main focus is to be the learner. So then when you're having to lean on them to be kind of a, a conduit and help with the instructional process, some students might be uh, energized by that. Other students might not want anything to do with that at all. Yeah. And I think naturally we found those that would kind of stick out in doing so. You know, this is a little bit off topic, but when we talk about uh, creating classroom environments and, and providing the opportunities, when we've got large groups of EL students, especially those coming in now, right, we, we always think, well, we want to make sure that we're um, allowing them to embrace the American culture, kind of um, putting them in situations to be with students, peers of different cultures, you know, kind of Americanizing uh, what they're doing, you know, coming to this country, right? What uh, we don't necessarily think through all the time is they also have peers that speak the same language. They're comfortable in that culture too. So we have to kind of be able to bridge. We don't want to just cut clean. We, we often talk, they're English learners, so we want to teach them English, but we have to still rely on their history and yeah. the culture they're comfortable with. So I found that allowing that to flourish in a classroom, they could rely on each other to then reach a common goal. And so providing those opportunities to, to chat in the back of the classroom over the content to kind of help each other, to support each other. It just created a, uh, a more secure, safe, supportive environment for students coming into something that they may not be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I so think I went a long way to kind of get <laughs> where I wanted to go. Yeah, no, that's fine. I just, I just wanted to bring up then let's, let's talk a little bit about in the math uh, setting. How did you go about, what are some of the things you did as far as teaching vocabulary uh, in terms of 
trying to bridge that gap for maybe a, a learner whose English is not their primary language? Yeah. So you brought up, you know, a lot of my students were Spanish speakers. Um, and, and that tends to be the one language that uh, I think we all have a little bit more exposure to. And so I tried for my vocab, I would look at a unit and I had a co-teacher at the time and we would pick out all of our key big vocab words and have a visual representation. So if we're looking at a unit over um, inequalities, greater than, less than, not equal to, um, greater than, to less than, to all those, we would have the English term and then the Spanish term. And that was it, side by side with the visual. And so the reason we would, and we would have that up all unit long, it was just something we could point to, something mm -hmm. that is, we would say it, and then we would say it again in English. I'm not having to translate my whole lesson as a, a colleague of ours had done in the past. I'm taking kind of what um, Mr. Anderson has said in the past, an anchor point, something that kids can kind of pull back and always rely on and using that term to then bridge to the English math term. I was just thinking of as you brought when you said an anchor point, it was as you were describing having those terms up in the in the room during the unit made me think of the idea of anchor charts that a lot of teachers create and then keep those anchor charts on their wall so that they can, you know, students can refer back to them all throughout the learning process. Right. So that would be another one, right, to be able to kind of have something that they can refer back to. You know, as you're talking about adding those visuals, so they have the, the word in English, the word in Spanish side by side, so they can get make that connection. But then you also have visual representation of what the definition or the, the meaning of the word was. You know, that really, to me, is is a kind of a tried and true strategy of teaching vocabulary because, you know, in a science classroom, that was generally a big part of how we did vocabulary instruction. We would have some type of, uh, you know, not only have the term, but then a, a, the textual meaning of it, but then a visual representation, something to give the students, you know, some concrete uh, examples to tie in the meaning of the word to. And so it would make complete sense if you were doing that, you know, in a bilingual type of setting. Yeah. And the only piece that we didn't have written out was the the description or the definition. Um, mm. And we would do that more through a, a visual process. And so that would now become an explicit teaching or learning moment rather than before. I think I often found my my myself like glazing over some of these words, right? We made a, a lot of assumptions about what even our English learners can do when we say, oh, it's less than, and you move on. Well, when you talk about number sense and understanding all that, you really wanna break it down and, and show some of these comparisons, build up some of the values and, and give the representation uh, the dedication it deserves. And by doing so, we saw that our ELs and our English learners actually understood the content in a deeper format. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's, I think that's a basic, strategy but i think at the same time if you're using that and it becomes consistent it can be really effective because especially when those um those visuals are up on the wall during the unit or on the board or wherever the students can easily see them you know that's going to become something that they start to refer back to again and again and then that builds in that repetition that helps make it a little bit more permanent so um, simple strategy but at the same time definitely uh, something that's promising yeah yeah. And so it's something quick that can be implemented for any classroom at that point, too. 
So moving on then to another strategy that I've seen some teachers using that I think has a lot of promise. Uh, and as I've mentioned in previous episodes, you know, in the Canton City School District, we are really, we really are blessed in terms of the resources that we have available. Uh, one of the things that I've been able to um, get into the hands of teachers that's been that's been useful, we have, I think at McKinley, we have in the neighborhood of about six or seven um, standalone monitors, 75-inch monitors uh, that are touchscreen. And so what uh, what a teacher came to me with back toward the beginning of the school year, he had an idea. He uh, was struggling with the EL uh, learners in terms of he would go through and explain his lesson and give directions. And because of the fact that, you know, he was communicating uh, to them through a translate uh, app, sometimes they would catch what he was saying. Sometimes they would miss it. And then if he kept going throughout the lesson, you know, usually when you're talking about it, a teacher, yeah, they're going to, you know, if they don't get that first translation and you go and give three more steps along the way, once they get lost, typically what he was finding is they would get frustrated. They would put their head down and they would basically just go to sleep in a lot of cases. And, and really, I mean, you can, from the perspective of a student, you can kind of understand that if someone's speaking to you in a language that you're really not understanding, you're trying to use a translation tool and you can't keep up, you, there's going to be a frustration level where you get to the point where if you just can't keep up, you you try, you might try for a little bit, but you eventually give up. So what he, uh, what this teacher um, suggested uh, to me is, okay, can you get me one of those monitors on a cart? And so I was able to do that. And so what he did, that gave him then two monitors in the room because he also had his primary monitor, which was mounted on the wall. And so the way that he would set up his, uh, his teaching um, sessions is that with the big monitor, on the on the cart he would put the lesson content up there on that particular screen and that's good too be, for the, the all of the learners really because it's a, a large screen they could easily um, see and visualize the material that he was teaching them but then what he did as a secondary thing to that is he was able to take his ipad with the translation app in this case most of our teachers use say hi and he would mirror his translation app up onto the second monitor. Now, that second monitor is probably in the range of, I'm going to say 55, 60 inches, some, somewhere in there. So the students are able to actually look up there. And as he's teaching, his app is picking up on his dictation. And he's got the speech bubbles up there that have what he said in English, translates it to Spanish. And he's also got the audio coming through so that it's repeating it in Spanish as he's saying it. So when you start thinking about the different modalities that learners uh, use, uh, his his non-English speaking students, uh, and in most of his learners in this case were Spanish speakers, they could see, uh, first of all, see the directions. They could see them in English and Spanish, and then they could also hear them translated in Spanish as well. And so where, where he was starting to see some gains in that is sometimes when he was using the app and it was just the, the um, auditory side, the students would miss the translation. And then by the time he went on to the next thing, they were already starting to get lost. Well, in this case, when he's putting the translation app up on his monitor, he's got like a, basically a running list of everything he's saying. So if they missed, like if he's giving a set of three steps for directions and they missed step one and he's already down to step three, they can back up still and see those previous uh, speech bubbles that come up in the translation app and, and get caught up, so to speak, because they've got a visual up there. And I think oftentimes our um, EL students 
they struggle with asking for help. Mm-hmm. It just the language barrier, right? And so, or asking them to repeat something, um, or or redescribe, and and by having that kind of list up there allows them, like you said, to kind of refer back to. So I'm sure now it we're we're reducing the amount of times we're going to shut down because we still have that ability to kind of refer back or pause and look back to something. You know, the other thing too, there's a set, there's another angle to that because of the way those translation apps work, you know, his directions that he's giving in English also show up in speech bubbles. So, you know, he's got other learners in the room who are English speakers. They can refer up to that too. If they missed, you know, a step or, uh, you know, one of the points that he made in a lecture or something like that. And, um, you know, as you look at a strategy like this, now there, here's the downside. It's not realistic to say that in a school the size of ours that every single room is going to have two monitors. I mean, that that's not realistic. But what we were able to do is that after he started to have some success with this, we had another teacher who had a class, uh, a biology class of freshmen, almost 30 kids and about half English speakers, half Spanish speakers. And, and the class was really kind of struggling just because there was such a divide uh, with the language. So I, w- I was able to, to put another monitor in that room and uh, they were able to use the same strategy, the same process, and, and they've had some success with that too. So, um, you know, you start thinking about what are some ways you could possibly replicate something like this without having two screens in the room? So, you know, one of the things that I was able, you know, as I was thinking about this, one of the things that I thought of is you there, there's a lot of different platforms that can do this uh, but a couple of them that come to mind would be nearpod or pear deck you know if you have a if you're using a tool that allows you to open a lesson have the students join and then you more or less control the slides where you're advancing slide by slide and whatever you slide you move to is what shows up on their screen you know you could kind of instead of using the second monitor to put the lesson content on, you could put that lesson content on your screen and everyone else's screen uh, device-wise and then use your wall monitor uh, if you have a second device with a translation uh, app on it that could still run and play on there. And that wouldn't, in my opinion, that wouldn't be quite the same because you wouldn't have the content on the big screen at the front of the room to, to motion to or gesture to. But you know, you still would be able to recreate something pretty close where everybody has the same content on their screen and you're using another screen for, um, you know, for translation. So that might be a way that you could go about trying to replicate that, uh, even though you didn't have the same technology to use. I even think, though, that would be just, you know, thinking back to being in the classroom, that would be just as powerful, right? Because your goal is to get kids to work on their own devices. And, And in that case, Having, I think, if if I were to choose between the the Nearpod or Pear Deck on the board or the translation and the directions on the board, I think I'd choose the directions. And and the only reason I'm saying that is how many times I was paused in a lesson to say, can you repeat that? Where? What is that? And, right. and I wasn't even thinking about the double um, bubbles as far as both English and Spanish. Right. If you have that, it's always refer back. And if you kind of create that as the, uh, you know, the process in the class or the routine, you just look, redouble check, it's still up there. Right. And if you're within one or two steps, now I can still navigate on my iPad. We talk about building up those tech skills 
um, and, and creating that as, as a practice. And then, you know, we really want to reinforce the fact that you need your iPad. Man, I, I think that that may be just as effective long term. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you on that. And it's a little more realistic, too, because, you know, as we mentioned, uh, for one, not every district is as, as fortunate as what we are to have the technology available that we have. Sure. And, and two, um, even with what we do have, we're not even close to being able to provide those, you know, a second monitor in every single classroom. I mean, that's just not something that that's going to be realistic or feasible. So, um, you know, we've uh, one of the things I've kind of thought about a little bit from the technology side, trying to get technology in teachers' hands if you do have a special or specific lesson where, you know, I can sign out one of those boards to you, um, you know, that gets more teachers an opportunity to use that type of strategy. But then, as you mentioned, when you're using a platform that allows you to, to kind of go shared screens where everybody's looking at the same content on their screen. And when the teacher can control that, that obviously makes the management side a little bit easier. Um, you know, that's a little bit more realistic and that's not something that's even uh, brand specific. So whether you're using iPad, whether you're using Chromebook, you know, a, a tool like Nearpod allows the teacher to open a lesson, have the students join and then advance them through slide by slide, activity by activity. So, I mean, right there, you're taking away any error in navigation when you're helping to navigate. Oh yeah. Middle school, that was huge for me, especially teaching during the pandemic. Uh, you know, I've got kids, some of them at home, some of them in front of me. And when I could just open up a tool like Nearpod and say, all right, here's your, here's your uh, five letter code, log in, put your name in, let's go. Um, made it much easier to, and, and you know, there's a, a level of comfort for the students there too. Not only my, uh, you know, my confidence level of knowing the students are being able to follow along with where I take them throughout the lesson, but also, you know, think about students' frustration when they feel like they're lost or they're confused on where we're supposed to be. And all they have to do is join the lesson and know that I'm going to guide them through it. And then each individual screen that I take them to has a different learning activity or something that, that I want them to be focusing on. It kind of gives them confidence, too. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So uh, as we continue, um, you know, Chad, we, you've kind of touched base on this a little bit through conversation with me. As you're exploring all new tech tools, AI tools, uh, you know, you brought up two, Diffit and School AI. Um, can you kind of walk us through a little bit how this would be beneficial in an EL classroom? Yeah, so if I'm thinking about like, I, most of what I'll share here is based on my interactions with teachers in our building. So um, if you go back, let's say uh, two years ago, coming out of the pandemic two years ago with our, our non-English speakers, if a teacher had most of their resources in Google Docs, they felt pretty comfortable about being able to provide a translated copy because in Google Docs, as we know, you can go under tools, choose from a variety of languages, translate, and it'll make a copy and then translate that doc into another language. The problem we would run into from time to time, if a teacher you know, primarily put their lessons in a PowerPoint or Google Slides, uh, easy to make a copy for every student and assign them those slides, not quite as easy to translate because, you know, the way that a Google slide deck is, is built is much different than word processing. So it's not as easy as just going tools, translate, and then you get a full translated copy. And the other thing that teachers would get stuck on, they would have this great resource that they wanted to share that was a PDF. And early on, it was much more complex trying to come up with you know, a translation of a PDF. And so depending on, for example, um, you know, let's say that the PDF was a screenshot 
well, now you're running into trouble because a lot of the translation tools would look at that document and really what the translation tool was looking at was a picture and not text. So wasn't able to translate it. So right. as you kind of fast forward a couple of years uh, later, uh, this becomes much easier. So if you've got that great lesson that's in a PDF form, all you have to do is, is jump over to Google Translate, upload the PDF, choose the language you want to translate it into. It's going to make your translation for you. And, you know, the only thing it puts a limit on, I think it's like an 80 page limit or something like that. But I had a teacher about a month ago who had a resource that they really, it was a really essential resource for what they were teaching. It was about a 130 page uh, booklet in a PDF form. And so I was able to make a Spanish copy of that for the teacher. And really the only step I had to take was, it was just make, you know, pages one through 80 and then do 81 through 130 or whatever the case was there and then merge the two together. But it really was a big time saver because in some cases, what the kids were doing is they were using that, um, they were using that uh, image recognition where they were trying to take a paper copy of the booklet and then hold their um, iPad camera over it and allow it to like translate what was on the page. And that just wasn't, you know, in terms of being efficient, that wasn't efficient at all for the learning process. So, you know, taking that PDF and, and creating a Spanish version, it really was able to make things better for the learners, better for the teacher. And in this case, this is a teacher who was doing some graduation requirement stuff you know, really important work that he was doing. So it was, was pretty helpful in that regard, but you know, now beyond, I got to ask Chad, have you tried a scanned PDF? So like if you scan in a document as a PDF and then upload that, would that work? Um, you know that uh, in most cases, yeah, because I would, I would say now that's where the technology is getting, is getting more efficient and being able to look at those scanned documents. There was a time when not so much, um, but it was near impossible. I yeah, I think in, in this case, um, if it's a, a scanned or screenshotted uh, document, uh, in some cases, you're still able to get that translation. Now, you know, your mileage kind of varies on that. I can't, um, you know, say that in all cases that that, you know, that's always going to work. But Google Translate is is definitely a tool that's become just like everything else in the last couple of years. Uh, more adaptive to the needs that we see as people are, are using those tools. And uh, I would say that, you know, in most cases, you're going to be able to get the translation you need. Because when you think about how those OCR tools work, I mean, the, the image recognition and stuff, that's basically what they're doing is looking at those images and then and then basically making sense and putting those together, like even letter by letter in some cases. So pretty impressive. Yeah. But speaking of AI tools, um, you know, there are, a, there are a couple that I've talked about on the podcast, um, you know, in our Tech You Can Try episodes recently. And I've been working with these with teachers a little bit um, over the last couple of weeks before we left for Christmas break as well. And I really think that they do have a lot of value when you're talking about uh, providing differentiated resources. So Diffit, you know, being one, the fact that I can take any resource and, um, you know, put that upload that, whether it was a PDF, whether it's a, a document, and get not only a Spanish version, but keep in mind, just because a student is uh, speaking a language other than English, that doesn't mean they're going to be reading at grade level. So I can also adjust those reading levels too. And uh, that's a really, that's a helpful tool for the teacher to be able to create a leveled resource for the student, not just in their, uh, the appropriate reading level, but also uh, in their, in their primary language to help kind of bridge that gap a little bit. 
Can you do that with English to English text? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. You can put in English and then just change the reading level and, and keep the, the language the same as well. And so you're now you're talking about there. I think back to so many uh, evaluations that I would have. And, you know, there was that period of time where I felt like the principles that were evaluating, uh, that were evaluating my teaching, you know, they had been to conferences and different things where they, you know, got them really excited about differentiated learning or universal design or, you know, whatever ter terminology you want to use. The then they would word. come. Yeah, they would want to come back and say, okay, so how are you providing a unique learning experience for all 29 learners in your class simultaneously? <laughs> well, when you're dealing with 13-year-olds in a, in a middle school science classroom, if I'm trying to keep any kind of order or any kind of, uh, any kind of uh, you know, orderly learning environment, I don't really have the ability to get too personalized you know, with all these um, different learning styles. But then you know, here's the thing. When you start looking at a tool like this, if, if I'm able to say, okay, now that I, if I can use an di online diagnostic to figure out where all my kids are in terms of reading level, and then maybe I'm not going to make 29 different ones, but what if I'm making one that's at grade level, one that's advanced, and one that's maybe a few grade levels behind? Now I can, now I can confidently say, hey, I'm providing differentiated materials. And I'm doing it in a way that's relatively efficient where I take my, my primary resource and then make a few different versions. And when you think about how our learning management systems work, it wouldn't be all that difficult to assign, you know, if I had three versions of the assignment and then to assign like the same assignment, but with different resources for each of the three groups, guess what? In a middle school classroom, none of the kids are even going to know that they're getting different stuff. So I mean, to me, that's like, that's where, AI, and now you start to add like the other languages on top of that. And it's like, wow, AI is actually, there's some things here that beyond just, you know, the buzz of chat GPT, you're talking about some things that can really change the way a teacher works with kids and the resources that they give kids to try to help move them along and get them to level up a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely pretty impressive. I mean, I think back to some of the work I would do to to tier the work for students. And I mean, it was just, it was, I, I think about the copies that were made, the, the different versions I created. And now it's, you've, you can literally put the focus on assigning and assessing rather than just the creation mm -hmm. for language yeah. and ability. Yep. Yeah. And that's, those two things are definitely, they can be major hurdles, but if we can use the technology to eliminate those hurdles and then keep moving on mastery of the content, you know, we got the opportunity to make some gains and make some progress. Now I've also in, uh, in another episode of tech, you can try, we talked about school AI, which gives the teacher an opportunity to, to open a space and use a, uh, chat GPT like experience for students individually. And one of the things I haven't really had a chance to try yet, but I would be really interested to see is if the students were to interact with the, with the chat bot using their primary language. So I didn't, obviously for me not being bilingual, I didn't have a chance to test it out in any other language than English, but I'd be really curious, let's say for example, that as a teacher, you set up a space with a, uh, a chat bot for a bell ringer on a specific topic what if the student is able to just in their primary language interact and communicate with the chatbot? Is that is that chatbot going to work back and forth? Uh, you know, 
with the conversation where it responds in the language that the the student responds in. So that to me is a pretty interesting interesting proposition and I would I'm hoping to you know get a look, dig into that a little bit more because here's the other thing, you know when you're setting up your spaces in school AI, you know you're able to give the chatbot some parameters to work with with. So uh, you know, I might say to it, hey, we're going to be doing an, an entrance ticket on uh, mitosis and meiosis. Uh, can you interact with students in both English and Spanish? And so I think there's some promise in in using these chatbots as well to give the, the kids an interaction. Even if I'm not a Spanish speaker, I can use the technology so they get some interaction in their primary language as we continue trying to build their skills in, in English as their second language, too. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. The only and and if it doesn't, I mean, they I've seen our students. Um, they're pretty quick with the translate tools. You know, the yeah. copy the paste. Yeah, it's so, become definitely a necessity for them as far as just for survival for a lot of them if they're very limited in their English. That's for sure. Yes. Well, this is a, definitely a a newer challenge for educators. I mean, we're in the early stages of this, even though some teachers have been um, teaching in these kind of environments for a number of years now. So it's it's really a point where we can't truly say what the best practices are, I think, because I, I just don't know that schools have had enough um, long-term experience. And I don't know if there's, I know there's research available and I know that there's studies that have been done, but to say what you know truly are the best practices in terms of bilingual education, uh, I, I don't know if we're truly there, but I do know that when it comes to you know, our teaching practices, good teaching is good teaching regardless of what language it's in. So as long as we're using the technology and the tools to help students to understand concepts and we have good learning activities that engage them in the content, I, I think that's definitely keeping us pointing in the right direction. Completely agree. You know, you think about things that work with with all learners the only thing then you have to focus on is a little bit of the language barrier. So if, if you're providing content in an effective way, now we just got to find the way to get them there. Right. And thanks to technology, we have a lot of tools and a lot of options uh, to help, you know, aid that learning and, and bridge those language gaps where if you would have, you know, taken us back even 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'm really not sure how we would have been able to, you know, see teachers doing some of the amazing things they're doing if we were talking about strictly a pencil and paper environment and then the language barrier. Especially on the fly, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, we hope you gained some ideas uh, in terms of teaching uh, non-English speakers from this episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find all episodes of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.